Welcome, you're listening to the Media Talk 101 podcast. Media Talk 101 is a nonprofit ministry dedicated to teaching media discernment in the light of following Christ. Visit our website, mediatalk101.org, for helpful articles and videos and other resources. And you can also learn more about our award winning documentary, Captivated Finding Freedom in a Media Captive Culture. You can also find that dedicated website at CaptivatedTheMovie.com. And our latest adventure with Media Talk 101 is the Christian Worldview Film Festival, which you can find information at ChristianWorldviewFilmFestival.com, happening in March of 2014, March 11th through the 15th. And I'm your host and founder and director of Media Talk 101, Philip Telfer. I'm back in the, the studio with my friend, co-worker, co-host of this podcast, Rhett Simpkins. Rhett, it's great to be back once again, hanging out virtually (laughs) (laughs) Uh, due to today's technology, which allows us to be in two different places and to record this podcast. And uh, I wish we were in the same room. But uh, now, this has been a busy week for us in in Media Talk 101 land. Mm -hmm. So tell us what you've been up to. Yeah, we just finished uh, judging over 100 films, and, well, we've been sending out emails and uh, getting everybody informed about films that they submitted to the festival. We uh, have made our official selections, and we have that on our website, so you can check that out. But, yeah, it's been a very busy week. Where can they find the information uh, about those films? Uh, You can go to uh, christianworldviewfilmfestival.com, and we have a page there. or you can go to our Facebook. Okay, so there you have it. And yes, it's, wow, you know, for Media Talk 101 guys, where we just, we don't watch a lot of media, generally, <laughs> to, to uh, go through 100 films, very daunting. We had over, we had at least five judges, sometimes more for each film, but the minimum was uh, five judges. We had a criteria, which had over 30 different um different things to critique regarding worldview as well as um, technical uh, the technical aspects of the film and so it was quite a quite an ordeal to go through all of those films and all of the judges scores there was also you know one of the things that we were doing as we were watching films was we had a film submission guidelines which kind of laid out the heart of this festival the things that we thought were problematic. And so par- part of that is going through and seeing, boy, is there anything that just didn't meet uh, the criteria of the mm-hmm. guidelines? And so we had to sort through that, and that's very difficult. But but we did have a few films that uh, just, uh, we, we still, we could have scored them, but they, they didn't meet the criteria of the submission guidelines. And, and thankfully, those were few. There weren't many of those. The other uh, the other thing that we had to sort through was that some films are just done better, you know, and you can't, we don't have time to play all of the films, so out of that over a hundred submissions, some of those just didn't meet the submission guidelines. Others, they, they were acceptable as far as the submission guidelines, but they just scored lower than others, and that could be that ranges because you could have a film that's acceptable that has weak Christian worldview but is very strong technically and as long as it's not you know as long as it's acceptable 
there was, uh, you know, it, it has the potential. You could also have a, a film that has very, very strong biblical worldview and is kind of weak on the technical side and, and its possibility for something like that to, to get into the film festival. But when it's all said and done, you know, you're really looking for those that have hopefully both, you know, mm-hmm. both strong technical and strong. Now that's, that tends to be rare, <laughs> you know, so it tends to be rare to see both of those things coming together. And so we do, you do have to kind of sort between okay, good, better, and, and best. And uh, so that was a daunting task. We, we did finally plow through all that, get it done and make our, our official selections and announcements. And like I said, you can go to, or like Rhett said, you can go to the website and learn more about those films. If you are in anywhere in this country where you're dealing with the uh, frigid cold temperatures that just are unrelenting, you know, March might be a good time to just take a break and come to San Antonio. It's, mm-hmm. uh, the weather's generally great down here. That's a good time of the year to come down. Uh, for some people, that's uh, at least for some young people, that's spring break. Uh, of course, that varies from place to place. And um, But nevertheless, we are going to be having uh, the Filmmakers Guild on March 11th through the th- 13th. And we have lined up over 25 different speakers that are all filmmakers who will be teaching over 40 workshops on Christian filmmaking. And I'm so I'm very excited about that. And then, uh, beginning in the afternoon on the 13th through the 15th, we are going to have uh, over over 70 films that will be be showing over two and a half days. And of course, 70 films sounds like a lot. You know, I think the total number was 78 films. That just like wow, 78 films. Well, mo- a lot of those are short films. A lot of them are promotional films or commercials or trailers. There are some longer feature films. There are some documentaries that are lengthier. But uh, so that's why you can, you know, and we're going to have six different uh, screens set up at our venue, which is uh, Castle Hills First Baptist Church in San Antonio, a large facility. And we'll have six different uh, screens set up. And each film at Hopefully, at least uh, at least most films will be able to be played at least twice is our our goal, so that people can come and and you know we want to just invite you to come to that event. Now, moving on to our topic today, which has been our topic for th- uh, the last three weeks. This will be the fourth week on the same topic because it's an important one, and that's on uh, dramatic story structure and how that compares with. God's story. And so we've been looking at the five-act dramatic story structure, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4, and Act 5. If you need an, uh, to, if you haven't tuned in for the previous ones, you probably want to do that. But instead of taking the time to go back over all of that again, we're going to jump right in where we left off. And we were talking about how when when we get caught up thinking that the world revolves around us, our dramatic story. And we do. We all have a story. You know, Rhett, you have a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a story that I'm living. My, As a family, we're living out a story. As a, as a church, we're living out a story. But but this is a sub-story with, inside a bigger story. It's There's a bigger picture here. And the tendency, and especially with so much 
of the media today, whether it's Facebook or whether it's feature films or whether it's video games, the tendency of many of these uh, media is to uh, give us an escape out of the reality, not only the reality of our own stories that we're living out, but often out of that reality of the bigger story. So it's an escape out of that. And the more you spend time escaping uh, your own story and escaping God's story, then you become more absorbed in this la-la land of, of the pseudo-story that's being, that that's completely unreal. You know, it's not, it, and we get absorbed in that. And then our picture of our own reality and our picture of God's story become distorted. And so when when we and we tend to get caught up then thinking that the world revolves around us because that's that's how the worlds are created in feature films you know it's a, it's a world that revolves around a particular person and you get absorbed in that and then all of a sudden you think wow you know the 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 world is also revolving around my story and and when that happens we lose sight of the bigger picture we lose sight of god's story and, and where we are at in that story. So when I left off, we were talking about Act 4, which is known as the falling action. It comes between Act 3, which is the climax. And in God's story, that climax is Jesus Christ uh, come in the flesh, died on a cross, rose again on the third day. He's Lord of all. And uh, by believing in him, you can have salvation as we repent of our sins and uh, there's so, you know, there's the, the gospel message, you know, has come and salvation has come through Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the climax in, in God's story. And in, in we look at the timeline of history, everything up till the cross is reaching toward it. And everything since then is, is not only looking back to the cross, but looking forward to the second coming of Christ. And that is, uh, that's the story we're in. So where are we at right now? Well, we're not at the end. The story is not over. There is a final. And what's interesting in the five-act structure, Act 5 is sometimes called the Revelation. Did you know that, Rhett? No. We talked about that. <laughs> well, we, yeah, I might have mentioned it. But sometimes it's called, you know, the the res- resolution. Okay. Or they, they have different things. But, but sometimes it's called the Revelation. You know, so it, something's revealed, but it all everything culminates and so that's what we're looking for the revelation of Jesus Christ at the at the end when all things are set in order and this this book that's being written is closed and God opens up the next one you know which is we're looking forward to eternity with with God after the resurrection of the just and the unjust and after the 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 judgment seat and all of those things uh, God is going to, uh, it, we're, we learn in the scriptures, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And and there's going to be the, the closing of this chapter and the opening of a whole new one. And so, and that's a whole new story. And that's going to be, that, that story, who knows about that one? It says, the Bible says we can't even imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. You know, so he's he's got something that says, boy, your, your minds aren't even big enough to wrap around this next, I mean, and it may not even, it's, it may be something that you can't even call a story because it's so much beyond what we would even know as a story. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. But for now, for now, we're here. And we are in a story. And we are in Act 4. And it's what's called 
the falling action. And it's a time of struggle, of battle between good and evil. And, and it's, a, it's a time of, of where the church is to be moving forward, preaching the gospel. It's a time where Christians are to be, find, you know, it says that um, in Revelation, it says about Christians, they overcame him, being that this is the dragon, Satan. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. So mm. this overcoming doesn't sound like a cakewalk. This doesn't sound like a trip to the mall. This doesn't sound like a 30-minute th- episode on one of the major networks that just gets resolved all at once. I mean, this is an ongoing thing. If, if we're going to overcome, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's conflict <laughs> that brought about the blood of the Lamb in order to bring redemption. By the word of their testimony, that you would actually be called to be a, someone that is a light in this world to testify of what Christ has done and to be at that place where we love not our lives unto death. So many people say there's a, there's an offense and a, and a defense there, you know, as well in this conflict that uh, the offense is is the testimony, you know, and that, that defense is like, well, we're not going to, you know, we don't even love our lives unto death. So this is this is the story of the church but in our day and age the church has gotten so caught up in this pseudo existence in this it's all about me um and that we we have turned our eyes from the eternal things and we we have turned them on to the we our eyes are on the temporary things and we've lost sight of all the things that the scripture teaches us about the struggle that's not, that has an end. It's, it's worth it. You, Jesus said, and this is what we left, we left off last week with this verse in Hebrews 12 too, that says about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. There is a finale. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, there's an end point. So he endured. So it was a battle. And and we're called to take up a cross and follow. And it's not that our cross is different than, than Christ, because Christ, his cross was redemptive. But the reason God calls up to take up a cross is because our cross is reflective. Our lives must tell the true story. And that story involves a cross. It's not the half hour episode that just gets everything gets resolved immediately we're not here to see the resolution in our lives the the god's story does not end with us and and if we're living thinking that wow i want god's story to revolve around me and that i want it to culminate with me it doesn't it won't culminate it doesn't culminate around you or i or anybody else except jesus christ that's where the story has begins that's where it peaks, and that's where it culminates. That's the revelation. It's it's all about Jesus, and we have a part to play in that. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to Colossae, the church in Colossae, in uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. He says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. This this is the best life. This is what Paul's saying. This is what we're. This is what I'm called to do. Is actually to suffer 
and not only to suffer, but to rejoice in these sufferings because he had an eternal perspective. He saw that this was a bigger picture than his own temporary sufferings. So some some teachers have said that the sufferings of Christ through his body is meaning that the sufferings of Christ through the church, I should say, is not for propitiation, which which he accomplished through his own body. So his he offered up his physical body, and that was a propitiation. That's a big word. It's only used once or twice in the scriptures, and it means a sacrifices that appeases wrath. And so Jesus was the sacrifice that appeased the wrath of God. He was the propitiation, and that's why he suffered. Now, as Paul talks about our sufferings, to, to fill up that it's been said that our sufferings are not for propitiation, but they are for propagation, the propagation of the gospel. That's why we suffer. We're here to be to to tell the story. It's the good news. You're proclaiming, hey, I want to tell you God's story, not mine. I want to tell you what God is doing. And you know what? Even though you might be going through some really hard times, even though you might be thinking, oh, this is just the sufferings, the difficulty, the struggles, uh, this is not looking like a very good story here. It's because you got to get your eyes off of, of your story and see that God does have a story that you are a part of, and it has a and it has a good ending if you are part of his family. If you are on the right side of the story, it has a good ending, but that ending hasn't come yet. And in the meantime, there are our times. So we are, we are associated with Christ through the cross. The death of self, the beauty that he demonstrated of humility, and his victory, you know, over sin and death. And the reality is, is our cross, whatever cross God calls us to, to carry, it doesn't compare at all with his. And he's called us to endure just like he did. Jesus endured the cross because there was a joy set before him. So do you have the right joy set before you? If your joy is wrapped up, if you, if you have this superficial temporal joy or happiness, which we talked about that, the difference between you know what's defined as happiness today and what's really blessed. But if you have this pursuit of happiness that's just in feeling good, or, or feeling like your life is going okay, and and oftentimes it's just not the reality for any of us. And so movies give us an escape, and we, we sit and we, we live vicariously through some story that's often not even real. And, uh, you know, then you're not going to understand that's not going to, that's not the right joy. There's a joy that looks to eternity and looks toward um, the culmination, the revelation, and says, I'm going to endure. And that's what makes a great dramatic story. When you when you do watch a story that you really love, and you see the this uh, even the hero who has, who has come, and there's the climax of the story, but then it gets darker and darker, and it seems like, oh, wow, is he going to pull through? And he has this character, you know, usually in these stories, you know, it's some sort of moral fortitude <laughs> that says, even in the face of all these trials, I am not giving up. I'm going to press on. And they and they press on, and it's that perseverance, and it's that endurance that, that ends up in the end bringing you to that revelation. And so what's interesting about Christ is that he came in a physical body, and he offered that. But now 
it says that his church is his body. We are the body of Christ, and we're continuing the story. So the victor is still in conflict, and we're told that. We looked at some verses, I think, in the first podcast in 1 Corinthians. We might come back to that in a moment, where it just says that, you know, there there's an ongoing conflict. And, you know, one of the things that Jesus did was he made himself vulnerable for our sakes. And, you know, vulnerability is, we, we think about vulnerability, you know, like, oh, you know, we need to be more vulnerable, you know. So, well, that's true. But the reality is we are vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, every every one of us. You're, you're vulnerable. I'm vulnerable. And it's, it's a part of the world that, you know, without vulnerability, there would, there would be no conflict. If you were invincible, you know, what conflict could, you know, it's like, hey, you just shrug it off. I'm invincible. Yet, yet Jesus took on flesh and he embraced that conflict. He embraced the, he didn't have to. He was in a place where he was, uh, uh, you know, he didn't have to, to come and humble himself, but he chose to do that. And he embraced the conflict. And through all that, he was perfect without sin, but he was not without conflict. And we have so many examples of Jesus himself. Uh, he spent 40 days in the desert being tempted by Satan. That is something, I mean, we've all experienced temptation, but 40 days without food in a desert all alone being tempted by Satan, that's that's a conflict mm-hmm. right there. You know, before he went to the cross, we see he was sweating drops of blood crying out to his father saying not my will but thine be done on the cross those heart-wrenching words oh god why hast thou forsaken me even before that we there's a time when jesus looks over the city of jerusalem and he weeps over it and he says oh you know this is a paraphrase here but he's just oh how i've wanted to gather you like like chicks you know (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, put you under my wing and, and protect you and, and how I wanted, but you would not. And now there's destruction coming upon you to the point that one day there, there'll not be one stone left upon the other, which, which happened, you know, 70 AD. Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple, not one stone left on the other uh, as Jesus lamented uh, part of the conflict. We, we see Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend who had died. And it says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The shortest verse. That was always the fun one in Sunday mm-hmm. school to memorize. Like, I'm going to memorize a verse this week. Jesus wept. But, I mean, there's there's depth there that Jesus truly loved Lazarus. It, it There was something about this that touched him deeply. And even though he knew he was going to raise from the dead, Jesus Jesus wept. We uh, Jesus was tired and hungry. One of the most remarkable stories, I believe, of, of just showing how exhausted Jesus was is there a time when he's traveling, he's in a boat going over the sea uh, in with his, some of his disciples and a storm comes up. So they have this big storm and it, and they're affra- it's so bad. And these are fishermen. These are guys that have been out on, the, uh, on, on these waters. They've seen storms. They were so terrified they thought we are going to die. And where's Jesus in all of this? He's asleep <laughs> in the boat. Mm-hmm. How do, you, how do you sleep through a storm, waves crashing, boats going up and down, rocking back and forth, unless you are exhausted from serving? And that's, that's who Jesus was. He was exhausted, tired. He was times where he was hungry. The, the Old Testament said he would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. 
We see him even in this tension in the temple going in and making a, a whip and driving out the money changers, you know, with zeal for the Lord's house, saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. So we see this, this passion that he had. There's an um, interesting time when he, he, uh, he pronounced all these woes over the, the Pharisees. You know, he just, I mean, we talk about Jesus being this warm, you know, loving, and but sometimes love is defined by what is just. And mm-hmm. he, did I, uh, remind me, Rhett, did, have I told that story in the podcast, the one from Florida? where I was talking with those uh, yes, yes, ministering. Okay, so <laughs> I thought so, you know, but there was an example of that, you know, where I shared with them what some of the things Jesus was saying to the the Pharisees, and they were like, wow. So um, Jesus also said, you know, I've come to, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword, you know, and of course there's a lot of different interpretations to that, but um, there was a time when a couple of his disciples were off track and wanted to call down fire from heaven upon some people and 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 he turns and he re- has to rebuke his own disciples and say you do not know what manner of spirit you are for the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them so the reality is is that that that's Jesus's life he's our example he's the head of the church and he says look this is what you're getting into you know you want to come follow me this is what it's about and we don't, in our day and age, in this culture, we don't like that. We don't want to live in act four. We want the happily ever after now. And it's that's not reality. So the only way people can find that is, is in a pseudo happily ever after now. It's in a, a non-reality. And that is so conveniently offered to us today like like drugs of the past through a lot of media that uh, gives you that sense of of living in the happily ever after now and there's other things as well it's not just media there's other 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 things so but we but if we're really going to follow the Lord if we're really going to be a part of this story uh, we are also in a great conflict and we know that lordship of Christ has been com- has been proclaimed. We know that that's the reality. We know that Jesus is on his throne. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. But we also know that for the last 2,000 years, a large portion of the world continues to revile and spurn Christ and his church. Um, and we are called as his people to be the saints of God that that not only worship him, but bear witness to his story. And in all of this, the enemy continues to bear down. But the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, which is Christ's body. And why is that even stated? Think about that. Why is it even stated by Christ unless the gates of hell would be attempting to prevail? <laughs> you know, so, so the very fact that Jesus said that. And even though the gates of hell will not prevail, that does not mean that there is not cost to individuals in this story along the way just like a battle, you know, where you have a commander, uh, a general over an army. Uh, There are people that are going to give their lives in this battle, in in this conflict, just like Stephen, the first martyr in the church. That was not, that was not a loss. That was heaven's gain. And as they were laying down 
the coats at the young man as a young man named Saul as they were as they were going to stone Stephen the first martyr in the church and as he was dying and he said God forgive them do not hold this against them they know they do not know what they do he was behaving like Jesus that was the example he got from Jesus in the midst of the conflict he saw there's a bigger picture here and i believe that we even see in scripture as they were laying down those cloaks at the feet of Saul god was laying down the mantle of his servant Stephen at Paul's feet and knowing that he would be calling Paul to take up that mantle who had a very similar ministry. Sometimes do that. Study the life of of Stephen and then look at the ministry of Paul and see how similar they Mm -hmm. are. Their personality, their temperament, their boldness, but also the fact that Saul or Paul, the Apostle Paul, would, would suffer. He would be stoned and live through it. But he would spend his life suffering uh, even though at one point he was the actual persecutor. So so we know that in this conflict, there are stories of Christians over the last 2,000 years that because of their, their devotion to Christ, they've lost reputations, they've lost their possessions, they've lost family, and many of them have lost their own lives. And this is still going on today out in, uh, around the world. There are Christians who lose their lives for the gospel and... And here in the U.S., we're just so pathetic. And so it's it's happened all through history. It continues to happen. And, but, you know, I don't know, Rhett. I know that you're not, you don't get much of a chance to say anything in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're, um, you're just, but you're kind of like the listener, like our other podcast listeners know. And, uh. But I appreciate you just being present here, you know, as, as I vent, <laughs> you know, because you get it all the time, even when we're not recording. Just so you know, podcast listeners, these are the kind of conversations Rhett and I have when we're not recording. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and Rhett's going, yep, that's right. It's not quite a conversation. It's usually Philip doing a lot of talking. Yeah, it's good, though. <laughs> no. it's, I've learned a lot. No, actually, in, a, in conversation, we do have a little more interaction. But, um, you know, why is it that we don't want to associate Christianity with this reality, which I just described. Uh, why do we try to, to preserve ourselves, our reputations, our comforts, our possessions, our lives, and, and try to justify it and try to build a theology around self-preservation? And I'll tell you what, the enemy wants you to stay out of the fight. He wants you to be comfortably complacent. He wants you to stay in your dream world because you are not a threat at that point. You are not something to be reckoned with. If you can, you know, Satan is accomplishing more through complacent Christians than possibly through anything else. Mm. And if you've never, if you've never read the, the, the book, um, by C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters, that's really insightful. <laughs> you know, it's really, mm-hmm. whether whether C.S. Lewis really got it right or not there, um, it's food for thought. And uh, it, it talks about that spiritual battle. But the enemy wants to just stay out of the fight. Because one of the, in fact, I was having a conversation with a man in our church, and we were talking about the struggle. And I, and for years I've been contemplating something, and I said, you know, uh, one thing that God has been teaching me is that that in the state of passivity, corruption has the upper hand. And he was like, wow, would you say that again? 
I said, let me, I've, I've thought about this a lot. In the state of passivity, corruption is stronger. Hmm. Like a field, you know, if you, you know, and, and Rhett, you, you work out of the office there at the, at the property in, in Mount Carroll and it's rural and there are some pastures there around the office and, uh, and, and there's, I think altogether it's about three acres and we used to have animals and stuff out there, but, um, we haven't for years because of all the travels as a family, we just can't manage animals. And so those pastures have gone fallow and, uh, they're growing stuff, but what are they growing? poisonous plants <laughs> yes and you know about it because you're a forager yeah in fact when you were doing when you were uh re- when we recorded your interview with captivate and you were showing us some of the poisonous plants i mean you were finding those in our pasture yep and uh, how embarrassing is that you know because it's in a state of passivity and you see that's what happened corruption weeds poisonous plants it's a part of corruption that's in the world because of sin and that is as a result because I am not active in that field or animals are not active in that field. Nothing's active. It's just gone passive. And likewise, in a state of passivity, corruption has the upper hand. And so if the church is complacent, if Christians become passive and complacent, then the enemy is stronger at that point. Now, he's not going to win ultimately, but that doesn't mean that there aren't battles going on every day, every year uh, throughout history. So righteousness fruitfulness, those require an active state, not passive. It takes, it takes tilling. You know, if I wanted, if I wanted to turn one of those pastures and start growing corn, you know, I'd have to go in and I have to, I'd have to chisel. First of all, I'd have to mow all that, all the weeds down. And then I'd have to come in and I'd have to get a big tractor with some big discs or, 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 um, what do they call those? I'm so non-agricultural here. You know, they have the disc, not before the disc, they have something that comes in and just rips up the ground. Do you know what that's called? I don't I know. I can't think of the name of it. We'll have to have a farmer write in and tell yeah. us. You, you, <laughs> Please, write you, the podcast. You, at media yes, <laughs> yes. You city slickers, what do you know? Here I'm around that farming all the time. And, and uh, chi- like a chisel. I think it's a chisel. They come in with a chisel and they just, they can chisel up the ground and uh, break up the fallow ground. And then they come over and they disc it. You know, you can come and, and even grind it down even more. And then you have to plant. And then, of course, there we don't have irrigation, so you have to pray for rain and hope for good weather. But all of that requires activity in order to get fruitfulness. And then even after that, you know, you have rows and you can go and you, you, you hoe the rows or you disc the rows when the plants are real small. You, you continue to battle those weeds because in a, in the passive state, they are going to actually have the upper hand. Uh, I don't we um, in, in our household we don't none of us have green thumbs. And uh, anytime I invest in plants, potted plants or anything, it's it's uh, we don't plant plants. We bury them. It's we should just put up a little rest in peace sign. The minute we touch it and bring it home from the store, the likelihood of that thing surviving. And uh, because we just it takes activity. And then we have stories that Jesus tells, agricultural stories, about an enemy that comes in and plants tares in in a fruitful field. So even when you are active, so that's what happens with the enemy does. If you are, if you're, if you're passive, you know, done deal, you are not a threat. But if you are out planting and trying to grow, in this case, wheat, you know, in this parable, 
you're, you're trying, you're, you're, there's fruitfulness. The enemy says, uh-oh, here, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to prevail against this. And the enemy comes in and he says he plants tares in the midst of the wheat. So you see, it's a conflict. So once again, in the passive state, corruption has the upper hand. In an active state, corruption becomes the antagonist, you know, and there's now a protagonist, you know, because, hey, we are coming against this. You know, in in Edmund Burke, the famous quote from the 1700s, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Thank you for listening to the Media Talk 101 podcast. We have just a handful of episodes left until our one-year commitment of weekly podcasts is over. We are prayerfully considering how best to continue, so if this program has been helpful for you and your family, please let us know. Email your questions, comments, or words of encouragement to podcast at mediatalk101.org. And be sure to visit mediatalk101.org for helpful articles, videos, and other resources.